Welcome, all you sports fans. Happy Festivus. If you don't know, today's Festivus. Happy Festivus Day. Yeah. Mark. Uh, welcome to On the Mark Sports Talk uh, with your host, Mark, with a C, of course. And welcome to our 86th show. That's 86 shows in 86 weeks. Fantastic. That's what I say. And we have a great show for everyone out there. We have a very special guest. And we are going to get to that special guest right now. Okay? So, first of all, I'd like to introduce uh, Dennis Wachowski. Because we've been talking about you for about three, four weeks, Dennis, since we initially talked. He's a former member of the Washington Generals, a professional basketball team that traveled around the world playing against the famed Harlem Globetrotters. He's got lots of stories for us. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, onto On the Mark, Dennis Wachowski. Welcome, Dennis. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great to be with you, Mark, and all your listeners. Uh, I... straight games. I lost in 45 states and 15 countries. <laughs> never, never won a game. So I don't know what kind of great basketball player I was, but I had a lot of fun. The uh, Globetrotter experience was, uh, Period. was just uh, amazing. Are we, are we doing okay? Are we listening? Can we hear and Yes. We're good, Mark? Okay, great. So uh, my basketball career began at a, a very young age because I was tall. Uh, you know, people see me now, I'm six, seven and a half, and they say, oh, did you play basketball? And my stock answer of course, is, of course, when you're this tall, they hand you the ball, they say, go, and I went. So uh, I, I started, you know, playing in grammar school and and had a good grammar school career, went to uh, high school in Perth Amboy, New Jersey. And uh, in high school, I, I bloomed from 6'2 as a freshman. By my junior year, I was 6'6 and a half. And uh, by my senior year of high school, I was 6'7 and a half. I was the captain of my team. And we made it to the state finals. We made it all the way to Atlantic City, where we used to have the state championships in New Jersey back in the uh, mid-60s. I graduated high school in 1965 and lost that final game. It's, you know, some games you never forget. And watching us lose to a team that we probably would have beat most nights and we should have won and, you know, didn't. And it just sticks in your craw. You, you carry it with you for the, for the rest of your life, you know, the one that got away. But uh, after high school, I was very heavily recruited. I was a big guy. I could move. I, you know, I was a, a good, solid player on a really good high school team. And uh, I got recruited by about 60 universities all over the country. Uh, I had an appointment to uh, the Naval Academy. I turned down. But my focus was really on New York City basketball. Uh, there was no place in the world like New York City, for, especially for college ball back in the mid-60s. Of course, Madison Square Garden, uh, the new garden opened 
I never got to play the old garden. I went to a game there when I was being recruited in 65. I went to the old garden and, and saw a game or two there. But uh, I was attracted to New York. I was recruited by a number of schools. So it came down to NYU. Lou Rossini was after me hot and heavy. And uh, the Violets of, of NYU were a great team. They had some terrific All-American players. And I wanted to go to business school. And I also wanted to go to law school. And NYU had both in spades. They were, it was a great school. So I took a visit to NYU. And the determining factor why I didn't end up going there was the fact that the business school is downtown. The campus, of course, is up in the Bronx. And I went up to the campus. I said, well, how do, how do you get to class? And they said, oh, you go over and you get on this train and then you change over to that train. And it only takes you about 50 minutes to get downtown, down to uh, Washington Square where they had the business school. And I, that, I was like, I'm not riding a train to go to class every day. Forget that. I had enough trouble walking to class. So the other school that was after me big time was Fordham University, also in the Bronx, and uh, a, a good New York City, solid basketball program, great law school, great business school, and I was being recruited by Johnny Bach. Now, Johnny was a legendary New York basketball fixture. He was the head coach at Fordham for over 20 years, and uh, he and... He had a, uh, an assistant who he brought to recruit me, and the guy's name was Ed Conlon. And Ed Conlon played for Fordham. He was on John's first team and led the country in rebounding. 6'6 forward, tough as nails, led the country. And uh, they, they put the cell on me. And I said, all right, you know, I, I'm interested in Fordham. I said, but... You know, one thing, coach, I said, I don't want to play center if I come to Fordham. I want to play facing the basket. I want to be a forward. Uh, I was idolizing Dave DeBusher at the time, who later on became a, a good friend of mine. But I'm, I'm watching Dave, and I think he was with Detroit at the time before he came over to the Knicks. And uh, I said, all right, I'll come to Fordham. They're like, you'll never play a day of center. You'll be a forward, you're gonna be a power forward. Well, let me tell you, for four years, I never got more than three feet from the basket. I played <laughs> down in the hole with my back to the basket. Every time they recruited a big man, the guy would bust a knee, he would fail out, he would transfer. I got stuck playing center my whole career. So uh, as a college player, I was a center. Uh, although my heart was, uh, you know, wanting to be a forward, didn't happen for me. But I, I had a great time at Fordham. I, uh, we had a dynamite freshman team. It was 1965-66 season. Uh, it happened to be the same year as Lou Alcindor, who had come out of Power Memorial, of course, and was the, uh, the player of the, of the decade, of the, of the century, <laughs> who uh, had such a great time at power and ended up going out to UCLA, of course, and winning all those collegiate championships. Uh, never got to play against Alcindor. I, 
I did play some seven footers. Uh, there was a, a, a fella at NYU uh, by the name of Newmark, Dave Newmark, who was the seven footer, who was also an all American. Uh, and uh, it was the, the time of the big man. All the schools wanted to have a seven foot guy. They saw how Alcindor impacted the game and they were all the schools were recruiting seven footers wherever they could find them. I think there were my senior year of high school. I think I remember there were 67 footers in the New York metropolitan area. And uh, many of them went on to uh, collegiate success. But uh, so I, I was a small center, but uh, I kind of modeled my game after the guy I admired most and related to was Wes Unselt, who was having such a fabulous career down with the Baltimore Bullets. And Wes was the same size that I was and led the NBA in rebounding and uh, was legendary for is starting the fast break. Nobody in the history of the NBA threw the outlet pass better than Wes Unseld. I don't know if any of you guys remember the bullets of, of Earl Monroe was playing with them back then, but they, uh, they really could get up and down the court. So uh, we had a, a great, great freshman team. Our freshman team, we used to scrimmage the varsity regularly and uh, we were beating the heck out of them. We, we really had uh, a solid group of guys. I had a guard who became my co-captain at Fordham, a guy named Frankie McLaughlin. And Frankie came out of Fordham Prep and uh, started with me the same year at Fordham. And he went on to become uh, a head coach, head college coach. Uh, he was at Harvard but he became the athletic director at Fordham and just retired about two years ago. He was the athletic director for 25 years at Fordham, a uh, very well-known New York basketball personality. But uh, Frankie and I, and we had a couple other really good players. So we had a dynamite freshman team. We were beating everybody in the metropolitan area. Sophomore year came around. And uh, I was very fortunate. Fordham did not have big men. So I got to start as a sophomore uh, playing down in the hole. And uh, it was just, just great. Uh, tremendous memories. Playing in Madison Square Garden was just the epitome of college basketball. We used to play college doubleheaders which were very common back then. And the city schools were just outstanding. The best basketball, maybe today is the SEC, but back then it was New York City. So we would play St. John's, NYU would play Manhattan, St. Francis. All the city schools were, were dynamite. And uh, my, uh, one of my fondest memories in college was playing against our arch rival Manhattan. And the Fordham Manhattan game, you circled on the calendar uh, two years in advance because that was your bitter rival. And uh, we were playing the first game. St. John's played NYU in the nightcap. So we're playing a doubleheader in the garden. And uh, I was a junior. And I had one of the best games of my career. 
It just all came together for me. Uh, I was putting the ball on the floor for, you know, for for four years of Fordham. Every time I would bounce the ball, coach would yank me out of the game. He's like, don't bounce the ball. Don't bring the ball down low. The guards could come in and attack you. He always wanted you to, you know, two hands on the ball and hold it up over your head or in by your chest with your elbows out, protect the basketball. But uh, that, that night in the garden, I went off and uh, we ended up beating Manhattan. Very competitive game. And I went for 20 some points and about a dozen rebounds. And uh, at the end of the game, they have a uh, MVP award they give for that game every year. And they brought me out to midcourt and 15,000 people in the garden stood up and applauded when I was named the MVP of the game. And, you know, memories like that uh, are, you know, they kind of outweigh that uh, high school game that I lost <laughs> that I still, uh, still cry over. I had one of those games at, at Fordham. We were playing in the NIT. So we had a good squad. In fact, my junior year, we went undefeated at home. Rose Hill up in the Bronx was a notorious gym. It's the oldest continuously used gym in America. It's a very old bandbox type of gym. The fans are right on top of the court. And we were so-so on the road. But at home, you couldn't beat us. We won 13 games my junior year playing at Rose Hill. Uh, so we end up playing in the NIT, and uh, it was a wonderful experience. Of course, back then, the whole NIT was held at the Garden. There was none of this stuff like it is today, where the NIT is played, you know, courts all over the place. And then the finals, I, I believe, they still bring to the Garden. But back then, the whole tournament was uh, about 16 teams, 12 to 16 teams, and we played in the Garden. But uh, our team got the invitation to the NIT, which was, uh, we earned it, but also Johnny Bach, our coach, was the chairman of the NIT committee. So, you know, kind of, but we didn't need the edge. I mean, we were, you know, we were worthy of the tournament. But right before the tournament, the NCAA field got announced. And the NCAA tournament in those days was about 16 teams. Today, everybody and their brother makes it. But back then, it was really tough to get into the NCAA. And uh, we ended up getting an invitation at the last minute. I forget the circumstances, but we got offered a bid to play in the NCAA tournament. And Johnny Bach took it upon himself to decide that we would play in the NIT instead of the NCAA. In the 60s, the NIT tournament was probably more prestigious than the NCAA championship. It was considered that, that highly. But uh, Bach figured Alcindor and UCLA out on the West Coast, we don't stand a prayer. There's no way. The NIT, it's like a home court for us. Fordham, we got to play about four to five games a year in the garden. So we were very familiar, very comfortable there. We, we, you know, it was a home away from home for us. 
So uh, we played the NIT and we, uh, I believe, had to buy our first round. We played Duquesne in the second round and we beat them. And we get Dayton in the semifinals. And Dayton's got a guy who's a first team All-American. His name was Donnie May. Donnie May went on to play with the Knicks. He got selected in the first round of uh, the in the NBA and, and had a, a nice pro career. I mean, he was a really good, solid college player, first team All-American. We're playing Dayton and the game is coming down to the final and Fordham is down a point and we got the ball and Frankie McLaughlin goes up and takes a jump shot, bounces off. Artie Stars grabs the rebound, throws up the follow, falls off. I go up, I get his rebound. The horn sounds. We lose by a point to Dayton. Heartbreaker. I can still see the ball bouncing off of the rim. Dayton plays Kansas in the finals. Kansas is led by a guy named Jojo White, who became a, a legend, played for the Boston Celtics, had a ter tremendous NBA career. He's got two seven-footers on the front line, and Dayton beat him by about 15 points, and Dayton wins the NIT. Oh. We were one basket away from uh, beating Dayton, so we felt that uh, we let that championship get away. But, uh, yeah, you know, you, those, those games are, are just etched in your memory. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of games you, you don't remember. I, I don't remember different guys I played against. And I look back at the box scores and I go, wow, Jim Valvano at Rutgers. I played against Rutgers. I played against Jimmy V. Now I'm watching this guy on TV doing the raising all the money for cancer. And everybody's talking Jimmy V. And now every year they keep showing him over and over. Well, Jimmy was at Rutgers uh, along with a guy named Bobby Lloyd, who was one of the top scorers in the country. And uh, I played against Jimmy Valvano uh, for uh, we were, I, I believe, the same year. So we played against each other a number of times. Another guy I played against in college that you'll all recognize was up at West Point. But uh, West Point at the time had the youngest coach in the country, and his name was Bobby Knight. So Bobby had come out of uh, Ohio State and a couple years earlier and got a job coaching, and he's up at West Point. Well, I had met Bobby two years earlier. Well, now I'm in high school, and I get invited up to the Pocono Mountains for a select all-star camp, summer camp. And uh, I go up to the camp. My parents drove me up from New Jersey. I'm up in the Poconos. They drop me off. I check into my cabin, say goodbye to my parents, grab a ball, go outside on the macadam and start shooting around by myself. Well, another guy comes out and starts playing with me. And he's like the same size as me. We're like two, six, eight guys, you know, going after. We start playing one-on-one. -on -one. Well, the next thing you know, we end up in a fight. And we're down on the ground. And we're bang, bang, bang. We're punching each other. We're rolling around. And, and the campers all start yelling. The guys are over on other courts. Fight, fight. So everybody comes running over. So 
Coach Knight, who was there to coach defense that week at the Pocono All-Star Camp, comes running over and he puts out his arms and holds back the campers and he says, let them go. I'm on the ground. I'm like, somebody please stop this thing. Well, I'm out of gas. We're pounding each other. So after a couple minutes of that, Coach Knight reaches down, grabs me by the jersey, grabs the other kid, grabs the two of us, gets in our face, and he goes, you ready to play ball now this week? I'm like, yes, sir. Well, that's how I met Bobby Knight. But now I'm playing against West Point, which is the worst experience of my college career. The cadets at West Point, these guys were out running five miles in the morning. We're smoking cigarettes and, and drinking beer. These guys are in such shape and they're cadets and they're doing all kinds of calisthenics. These guys could run through the wall. Now they got Bobby Knight coaching them. This guy's the most intense guy you ever meet on a basketball court in your life. So Knight's got these guys. They would not let you run down the court. They would start body checking you as soon as the ball got inbounded, they're going to deny you your space on the floor. And they checked you all the way down the court. You couldn't even get down to the other end of the basket. By the time you got down there, you were bruised and beaten. And uh, I had to play against them for four years. And it, it was playing at West Point was the worst game of the year. But uh, the same year as me uh, at West Point, there's a guy named Mike Krzyzewski. And uh, Mike, who you all know as the coach of Duke, was uh, a freshman the same year I was. And we played freshman ball. We were both captain. I was at Fordham. He was at West Point. And, and uh, we ended up as captain our senior year and played, played against each other for many years. He was a, a good, solid college player. Nothing, you know, not all American but tough, gritty, and, uh, you know, a very adequate player, very, very decent player, and uh, certainly a great captain, and goes on to become one of the greatest coaches in the history of the game. So, uh, you know, so when I look back and, and think back on some of the guys that I played against at that time, uh, you know, the legendary guys now, I was reading a story the other day about the Los Angeles Lakers, when they won their championship, when Wilt was playing for him and a guy named Jim McMillan who had come out of Columbia uh, was probably the best college player I played against. He was an all American and six, uh, five just had the complete game, tremendous forward guard forward. And uh, he went on to play with the Lakers and had a really nice career with them and, and won the NBA championship. So, uh, you know, that's just some great college moments. Uh, my greatest game was uh, on the road down playing against North Carolina State. And uh, a couple of guys earlier said they were Googling me. Well, if you Googled me, then you read the story about us playing in, at North Carolina State. And it was one of the first games in my career where I didn't start. I was always a starter. I was, uh, you know, an alpha guy. I was a tough guy and, you know, led my, led my team in rebounding for two years in a row. 
double digit scoring, but, uh, you know, work the boards and I was tough inside defensive player and, uh, uh you know, a board man. And, and, uh, so I'm playing at North Carolina state and somehow I'd gotten into Johnny box doghouse and he decided to sit me and I was shocked. I was, it was automatic from the time I got to Fordham, every game I always started. And now he's got me on the bench and I'm sitting there five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes into the game. And I am steamed. I am totally pissed. So with about three, four minutes to play in the first half, he finally whip, go ahead in, puts me in the game and, it gave me a fire in my belly. <laughs> I, uh, I did a couple of good things right before half. Well, the second half of the game, he, he saw what was up. He started me. And uh, it was, you know, just one of those magic nights. And uh, I end up scoring. Uh, and I wasn't a big scorer. And they certainly didn't run plays for me. But just the way that the ball bounces, I end up scoring the last 17 points of the game for Fordham, 17 consecutive points. Uh, everything was just going in. Uh, the ball was bouncing my way. I was getting offensive rebounds. I got a steal. I turn around, make a layup and get fouled, make the foul shot. And then uh, I get two foul shots with under 10 seconds to play and uh, drain them. And we end up beating NC State on the road and uh, I set a record for the uh, new arena they had just opened, which stood for many, many years, uh, last 17 points of the game. So uh, that's, uh, that's my, that was probably my greatest college game, uh, that and, and the uh, game in the garden where I got the MVP. But uh, it was, college was, uh, was great. I, I ran into some trouble my senior year, Johnny Bach, left Fordham and went to Penn to coach there. And uh, subsequently, John end up, ends up going to uh, the pros and goes to Chicago and became first assistant, he and Tex Winter, to uh, Phil Jackson. And uh, they had a guy on their team by the name of Michael Jordan. And they end up with a fistful of rings for, for all of them. But uh, uh, I'm going to touch on Jordan a little bit later in my story. But uh, Ed Conlon took over my senior year as coach and we were oil and water. We didn't hit it off. And my senior year was kind of a, a waste. And uh, I really didn't get drafted out of college uh, as I had hoped. I wanted to play in the NBA. Well, it didn't happen for me. So I spent the summer out in the Hamptons. I had discovered Eastern Long Island by that time. Uh, some of my teammates lived out on the island and they took me out there. Having grown up on the Jersey Shore, once I got out and saw the Hamptons, I was like, oh my God, this is beautiful. The beaches were just fabulous. And uh, I started... Uh, waiting tables out in uh, Southampton, New York, that summer of 69. 
after I had just graduated Fordham. And uh, we played a lot of basketball. There was one basket down on the, on the beach at a place called the Castaways. And I played a lot of basketball there. And I played against a guy who I had competed against in college. His name was Danny Gallagher. And he played for St. Francis. And we banged heads uh, for a few years during college. So I knew, knew him a little bit. And then we played that summer in the summer league out in the Hamptons and played against each other. Now it's almost Labor Day. And uh, I say to Danny, hey, so what are you going to do now? So, you know, summer's over. He goes, oh, I'm joining the Harlem Globetrotter show. I was like, get out of here. How'd you get that gig? Well, he said, oh, I went down to Allentown. They had a tryout. I went through the tryout. And uh, I made the team. I'm going to join the Washington Generals. And I said, oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> what a great job. You know, I, what a thrilling thing. He goes, is that something you'd like to? I said, are you kidding me? That would be, you know, what a dream. He goes, well, they're still looking for a big man. He goes, you interested? I said, oh, yeah. So we, we go over to the phone booth and he calls up Red Klotz, Lewis Red Klotz. And uh, Lewis, uh, Cl Mr. Klotz was down in Atlantic City. He lived in Margate, just outside of Atlantic City. And he was the owner of the team that played against the Harlem Globetrotters for uh, many, many years. Red was uh, himself a former NBA player. He had played for the Baltimore Bullets. He was about 5'5" kind of thin hair, a little balding, red on top. And he was a two-hand set shooter. And he became friends, you know, with Abe Saperstein, who was the founder and owner of, of the Globetrotters. And Abe gave Red the keys to the opposition team, which, uh, you know, everybody says, oh, you play for the Washington Generals. Well, actually, we, we had a number of different names, but we were always Reds team. So when I started with them, we were called the New Jersey Reds. And then we went to Europe and we were called the Chicago Demons at one point. We were called the United States College All-Stars. We had different names, but it was the same deal. But uh, we call up Red and we got him on the phone. I'm standing on the beach and he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, I know who you are. You played for Fordham. You know, you had a great college career. And, you know, would you like to join the team? And I said, hell yeah, Red, what do I got to do? So he said, well, we're going to be in Manhattan. Uh, come on in, meet us. And he gave me the itinerary. And we were meeting in Manhattan. And we were getting on a plane and flying down to Miami Beach. And we played in Miami Beach Convention Center for two nights. And then we hop on a plane, we're going to Puerto Rico. And we played San, San Juan and uh, uh, Mayaguez, Puerto Rico. Then we jump on a plane, we go to St. Thomas. And we play St. Thomas. Now, when you get to St. Thomas, there's no arena. There's no basketball arena. 
they have a baseball stadium and the Globetrotters have a portable court. They have a wooden court that we set up in the middle of the baseball diamond and the people sat up in the baseball stands and we played out on, uh, out on this portable court, which was pretty funny because the court was not very good. And sometimes I remember Curly Neal dribbling down the floor and the ball would hit a dead spot in the court and the ball wouldn't bounce back up. It would just hit the floor and, and you know, dead bounce, just die. Well, he'd pick it up and start dribbling again and the people laughed and figured it was part of the act. But uh, we played St. Thomas and then the next night we played uh, St. Croix back to Miami and then we get on the bus and then the real deal started. That appetizer was just a mirage. It was nothing like the, the real experience because the way the Globetrotter show was laid out, it was one night stands. You play the game, you get on the bus, you drive a couple hours, you go to the next city, you check into your hotel, you got one suitcase, you go to the hotel, you go to the arena that night, you play your game, back out. Now we're out in the bars, we're out in the clubs, we're looking to meet girls like uh, 22 year old guys are apt to do. And uh, maybe you get a few hours sleep back at the hotel, wake up in the morning, get on the bus, go to the next town. Well, we started doing that. Now, we were playing seven nights a week. There was no night off. People go, oh, that must've been a grind. Well, it, it's easy peasy because we were used to playing, you know, hard, tough basketball. And now you're in the Globetrotter show and it's a whole different pace. Uh, it's the game was about 50% show and 50% real basketball. So when I joined the Trotters, I had never, I don't think I'd ever been to a Globetrotter game. I had no idea what the tricks were they called them reams. And uh, so they would work you into the game. The first quarter and the fourth quarter were the show quarters, primarily. Second and third, it was more up and down, playing basketball, showing people, you know, normal basketball skills. So they would work you into the game where you weren't participating in any of the tricks, but you sat on the bench and watched what was happening. and. Everybody who's been to a Globetrotter game, you know, eventually knows the, the shtick because it's, it was the same formula, the same act night after night for 50 years. You know, Abe started the Globetrotters uh, back in Chicago, back when the NBA was segregated. There were no black players in the NBA until about 1948 or so. And uh, I think the Celtics brought in the first black guy. But Saperstein saw an opportunity and he got great black players 
put them together into a traveling team, got a bus and started going around the country and playing against local teams. And groups of local guys would get together and try to play the Globetrotters. Well, the Globetrotters were so talented. The guys were such great players. There was no place else for the Blacks to play. So he was able to get the very best players that were uh, in the game at the time that, that were Black. And they would beat up on the local teams of all-stars so bad that they started clowning around. And they would start teasing the, the opponents because they were whipping on them so bad. So that's how they developed the original, you know, teasing and tricks and, you know, what the things that they would do. And uh, they developed the reams uh, for, from that. Uh, they, they really had great players. Now, the Globetrotters played an exhibition series against the Minneapolis Lakers. And the Lakers had George Mikan and had won the NBA championship. And the Globetrotters played them and played them straight up. And the Globies beat Minneapolis, all black against the all white Lakers. And hence, they earned the title of the greatest team in basketball. And they, they earned that. And, you know, people would ask me over the years, well, how good are the Globetrotters? You know, could they play in the NBA? Well, the answer was, you know, originally they were the best. As the years went by, it became more of a show. And the best black players now were going to the NBA. Uh, coming out of college, the Globetrotters made a brilliant move. They picked up a guy out of Kansas, a seven footer. His name was Will Chamberlain. And the Globetrotters offered him $100,000 to play one year. And Wilt, before he joined the NBA, went out and played with the Globetrotters. That's how good the Globetrotters were. They had the, to me, the, the greatest basketball player of all time was Will Chamberlain. Now, Jordan, obviously, you know, everybody and LeBron and all these other guys, but Chamberlain did things uh, that are still, he, he's got more records uh, in, in the NBA than any, than any other player. And I idolized Chamberlain uh, when I was younger. Uh, you know, you either like Chamberlain or you like Bill Russell. I like Chamberlain. He was my guy. I, I, I didn't like Boston. They were winning the championship too easy. You know, the Celtics, they won it every year. And Chamberlain would struggle, whether he was with Philadelphia or whether he ended up with uh, Los Angeles or wherever else he went. But uh, uh, so Wilt, it was great because he was a Globetrotter alumni and we would be playing. And whenever we were in the same city that Wilt happened to be in, he would come to the Globetrotter game and he would come in the locker room and play cards with the guys. We always played cards before the game, you know, to kill time. We played a game called Whist. Uh, we play at halftime. And Chamberlain would come in and sit down and, and play cards with the guys and yuck it up and tell stories and, you know, who they were uh, who they were dating at the time and whatnot. 
but uh, Wilt was just, uh, it was such a treat to be in the locker room with uh, a, a guy of that magnitude in basketball. So, uh, you know, there were, there were many great players. Uh, of course, the stars when I was playing were uh, Curly Neal was the dribbler. He had taken over from Marcus Haynes. Marcus Haynes uh, was prior to Curly and Marcus uh, was the top dribbler and, and showman. But uh, the greatest showman of all time was the star of our show, Meadowlark Lemon. And uh, Meadowlark was without a doubt the greatest showman uh, to ever play basketball. He was the heart and soul of the Globe Trotters for uh, over 20 years. And uh, he was just remarkable. He was a very skilled basketball player. He had a great handle. He was a great dribbler, uh, great, tremendous shooter, uh, famous for his half court hook shot. Uh, at one point, one of the reams metal arc would set up in the corner of the half court line, right going off of the floor and right before half court. And he would be teasing with the guy who was guarding him. And you would come up and put your hand up like you were going to try and block his shot. And he would grin and, you know, say something to the crowd. And then you put your hand back up again and he would tickle you under the arm. Then you pull your arm back and then Meadowlark would heave a half court hook shot. And there were nights he swished that thing through. And every time he did, he'd call for the ball again and he'd shoot it again. I saw him make two, three in a row some nights. If he missed it, he would still, you know, if, if he was in the mood, he'd call for the ball and they'd give him a, a second shot. And sometimes he would make it. Some nights he didn't, but he he could shoot the ball. But uh, what a showman. So we're playing in large arenas. I mean, we played in arenas all over the country. Many of you saw the Globe Charters when you were kids. We played in some high school arenas, but we also played in the Forum in Los Angeles and the Garden in New York and you name it. And we played in you know, courts all over the world and, and sometimes outside in stadiums. And Meadowlark had a voice that could carry a lot of what the Globetrotters did was verbal, as well as the exhibition of basketball skills, the dribbling, the passing, the magic circle to start the game. When you come running out onto the floor, and the famous song of, from the Globetrotters, Sweet Georgia Brown, started playing. And they would come out and they put six guys in the magic circle. It was a circle around. And they would start passing the ball to each other. And like it was on a string or they roll it up their arm or around their neck, and bounce it off their head. And uh, it just set the tone for the whole show. And they would always do the magic circle for five minutes before the first game and then the last guy would bounce it off his head that would go to metal arc and he would dribble down to the basket throw it up over his head and here comes jumping jackie jackson 
and he would grab it with two hands and tomahawk it through and the crowd goes crazy. But, uh, you know, so there was the visual part of the game, but there was also, they were always telling jokes and people in the stands and Meadowlark had that voice that would carry to the top of the arena. So he was, uh, he was a great showman, not just as a basketball player, had that smile. You know, everybody recognized him. Every place we went, uh, he was, you know, he was the top dog. And, and Curly, as the dribbler, was uh, just a remarkable, remarkable player. Uh, you know, you would chase him around the court. There was the one sequence every game where he would take over like a drum solo, you know, in the band. Well, Curly got the ball and started dribbling, and he would dribble from one corner out to half court and slide and the defender would be taught to learn to slide after him. And then you spread your legs and curly would dribble it through your legs. And again, eventually ending up going to the basket and throwing it up in the air. And then the dunker would come in behind them and grab it and tomahawk it. Our dunker was a guy named jumping Jackie Jackson, who was out of New York city and Chamberlain said the greatest jumper of all time was Jackie Jackson. There were a lot of guys who could fly, <laughs> uh, but Jackson was 6'5", and Chamberlain would tell you Jackie could go up and take a quarter off the top of the backboard and leave you change. There were very few guys that, there were a lot of guys we could jump up and get their hand up over the square above the basket. But uh, Chamberlain and Jackson were two guys who could get the top of the backboard. And uh, Chamberlain called him the greatest jumper he had, he had ever seen. And playing against Jackie, I, I saw some phenomenal dunks. You talk about guys dunking the basket. The guy could just levitate. And uh, there was a story of the greatest dunk in the history of basketball was performed by Jackie. He was playing in the Rucker tournament in uh, Manhattan, up, up in the, up in the, up, uptown Manhattan. I got to play in the Rucker tournament, but Jackie was playing and he was playing with one of the globe trotters. The guy who was the backup dribbler to Curly Neal was a guy named Pablo. He was from the Bronx. And Pablo steals the ball about the foul line and takes off dribbling down the court at top speed. And he was famous for being able to spin with his dribble. And Pablo is going down and he's spinning and dribbling and spinning, racing down the court. And here comes Jackie Jackson running across half court. And Jackie yells out, trailer. So Pablo takes the ball, and as he hits the foul line, he bounces the ball down hard. It goes straight up in the air. Jackie Jackson takes off from the top of the circle, jumps over Pablo and the defender, grabs the ball with two hands, and slams it through. And that's the legend of the greatest dunk in the, in the history of basketball, according to these guys. I was not there for that game. But uh, I did get to play in the Rucker tournament. Uh, one of the few white guys who, who, who got out there. But Bobby Hunter 
was another New York City basketball guy, one of the Globe Trotters who didn't start, but he was a tremendous player. And uh, Bobby had a team called the Urban League, and he invited me to play with them. And uh, they called me White Hope, but they loved playing with me because I was one of the only guys on the court who would actually pass the basketball. All the other guys, once they got the ball, it was going up. They would find a way to get off a shot. Everybody was a ball hog. Everybody wanted to score. They were throwing it up from all over the court. And uh, I would stand under the boards and grind it out and get the rebound and, and pass it. They were like, oh, wow, you know, the guy passed. <laughs> uh, so uh, they, they uh, liked me playing with them. And uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun playing in the, in the Rucker tournament. But uh, Globetrotters, night after night, day after day, 25 bucks a day. That's what Red paid us. We got $25. Now, they paid for our hotel. They paid for the bus. We were all riding on the bus. And uh, Globetrotters and the opponents, we also would have a couple of acts with us. The Globetrotters always had. Uh, we had a famous ping pong player, table tennis player, a uh, Japanese guy who was, you know, a tremendous player. He would put on a halftime show. And uh, we had uh, a little combo band. There was a, uh, another group, a uh, three-piece group, who would perform at halftime. And we had our referee. We had a guy from... Philadelphia, Riley Pitkoff. And Riley was the uh, head referee for the Globetrotters for, oh, 30 years, probably. It was, it was a life. A lot of these guys, it was their life. I mean, they lasted out there for years. The opposition team, my team, the Washington Generals, the average guy would last about six months. Uh, the road would just eat you up. You were on the bus, off the bus, in the hotel, checking out of the hotel. We didn't know what state we were in. We didn't know what town you would just you know, be in the lobby, 920. You know, you were there 920. You didn't even know where you were going half of the time. You know, one podunk after another. And uh, we played and played and played. And sometimes we would go two, three months without getting a night off. And then you would hit... Uh, Maybe you'd get two, three nights in a row. They would give you off. But the schedule was, uh, was a little grueling. But uh, the game itself was, uh, was easy and uh, pressure-free. It was, it was so much fun. And the guys performed at such a high level because there was no pressure. There was no defense. And uh, the tricks, you know, you learn them from sitting on the bench and watching the other guys, how it's done. And, you knew when they wanted you to pull your shirt out in the back so they could stick the ball up your shirt and you would go running down the court and then the ref Riley would call you for traveling, you know, and everybody would laugh and the globe charge would get the ball back out of bounds or uh, they'd be passing, passing, passing. And then you'd have a foot standing out of bounds and they'd pass you the ball. And then you'd look down and the ref's out, you're out of bounds, you know, globe trotter ball. You'd be like, All right, what are you talking about? You and you had to give the ball back. So you learned the, uh, the different rhythm and the, the yeah, tricks, but it, it was the same every night. You know, everybody knew when they're coming running with that bucket of water 
there's really confetti in there, you know, and they would throw the bucket, you know, the people, they'd throw a little water on each other. And then the guy, Meadowlark is chasing Curly around the arena with the bucket. And then they get to the crowd and he throw the bucket and the confetti goes flying out. Well, it didn't matter that people knew the confetti was coming. The whole place would erupt in laughter. And that was people, you know, some people didn't understand and would say to me, how could you stand all that losing? Well, I wasn't losing, I was performing. And the satisfaction was in seeing the joy. Everybody who goes to a club trotter game walks out happy. You know, you, you know who's gonna win, there's good guys back, but it's a, just a joyful experience. And especially when you see the little kids and they would just light up and, uh, you know, they'd pull a couple little kids out on the floor, let them play with the ball or dance with one of the guys. They had a little dance routine and uh, seeing, you know, seeing that was t really satisfying and gratifying. And uh, it was a tremendous experience. So we played in 45 states. I went all over, all the way out to California, up and down Cali. The worst was Texas. You'd get to Texas and we were playing uh night after night after night i'm like how big is this freaking state we're never going to get out of texas we go for two weeks without leaving texas from one end to the other playing at you know a different town every couple of every couple hundred miles apart and uh it, that seemed endless and you know it got a little you were a little homesick and being on the bus, you were away from your family and your friends, and if you had a girlfriend at home. And so it, it was a little lonely and a little, you know, living out of that suitcase got a little old. You were wearing the same clothes every day. But uh, we had the camaraderie of each other, and the black guys got along with the white guys, and we all partied together. We all went to the same nightclub. It was great in a lot of cities. You'd be going to the same, you know, they had the same schedule year after year after year. You'd be playing in the same towns, basically at the same time, the same month. And uh, they developed a lot of friendships around the country. And uh, there would be a lot of parties people would throw for the Globetrotters. Uh, you know, families that would cook for you. So you go and, you know, they'd have a chicken dinner and all the veggies and, you know, invite you to their home. And, we got to go to the parties with the with the trotters and uh, a lot of girlfriends. You know, a lot of the guys had made uh, friends with gals all across the country, and uh, that was always uh, something that all the guys were interested in. So it was uh, it was tremendous. One of the uh, one of the things that I I remember well was playing in the deep south. And the effect that it had on the Globetrotters, on the Blacks playing in Mississippi and Alabama and South Carolina, you'd hit that part of the South and there was a different aura that would come over the whole organization. And the people, the crowds were, there was a lot of crackers, a lot of rednecks, and they would say a lot, you know, they'd be calling the guys, you know, the N word and, you know, kind of making fun of them more than admiring them. And it, it was kind of a heavy weight 
that came over the whole organization. And I remember driving through uh, places in the South where uh, you'd go by a, a rest station, you know, you'd go by a gas station and they'd have the sign on the side of the building coloreds and there'd be a sign, you know, they wanted the color to how to use the bathroom around the, the back of the building and, you know, that kind of crap. And uh, you felt it even in the hotels that they were integrated in the late 60s, but still a lot of, uh, you know, tremendous amount of racism that uh, you would feel, uh, particularly in the deep south. Florida, where I now live, was a, was a different game. You know, Florida was, uh, uh, I tell everybody, I live down here in Jupiter, Florida, Palm Beach County, and it's like the sixth borough of New York down here. It's, everybody's New Yorkers. Uh, it's an East Coast mentality. It's, uh, you know, and we, we got to play in West Palm Beach, where, uh, where I now live. And uh, it was uh, it was a real treat, you know, to, to get down here and into civilization, civilized South, <laughs> and uh, you know you didn't have uh, that that racism that wasn't as prevalent as you felt in the, the deep South. But uh, the relief from that was our summer tour. So we finished finish up playing in the states. Oh, toward. Uh, towards spring and we'd get about a month off before we'd head over to Europe. And playing basketball in Europe was, uh, was just the greatest. The Trotters just loved it. Now in Europe, they did not have the professional leagues. Uh, they had some, but they hadn't become uh, as good as, as they did eventually, but, you know, basketball was still a little bit young in the summer of 70 when I went to Europe with the Trotters. And we played in 15 different countries. And uh, the people still believed in Europe that the Globetrotters were the greatest team on earth. They had earned the moniker and they didn't know the NBA, you know, they didn't know uh, what was going on in the States and they would see the globe charters and watch their tricks and watch their ability to fill up the basket. And they were wowed. And it was tremendous for us. We're now we're playing as the United States college all-stars and we're losing 106 to 98. And they thought we were the second best team in <laughs> in the world because we were able to compete so well with the globe charters and we lose by a handful of points a night and uh they'd be chasing after us for autographs and treated us like stars even though we we you know really weren't we were uh, you know decent college players but uh nothing that great but the globe charters were and you didn't have the racism in europe they uh they were eat a lot more accepting, accepting of the blacks, and uh, the guys loved it because they were able to go out with the white girls and uh, you know not run into problems, and you know they could go to whatever club they want, and they didn't have to worry about not being wanted there. They were celebrities, and it was just fabulous 
And in Europe, we got to do a lot more flying than we did in the States. The States was almost always on the bus. Occasionally, you would hop on a plane and move from one section of the country to the other, but that was very, very rare. It was normally just riding that bus night after night. In Europe, we didn't have our own bus. Uh, they would have some charter buses for us, but we did a lot more flying from uh, playing Berlin one, you know, for four days, and then you'd go over and, and we played longer in places. I'm looking at uh, some of my programs. I, I got my Chicago Demons. We were playing in London. We played at Wembley. And we played there for May, what is it? May 23rd, Friday, May 15th till Saturday, May 23rd. So we played eight days in a row in Wembley Arena. Huge arena. Place is packed. We're on the BBC three nights live. And they would just pack that arena night after night after night. It was just great. And uh, we'd go from, from Europe. I, I pulled out my bag. I got a bag of souvenirs. I don't know if you guys can see some of this stuff, but I got my uh, some of my posters that I saved from Paris. We were playing in Paris. There's Meadowlark holding a couple balls and uh, playing in Berlin. Uh, I played Paris. And uh, U.S. College All-Stars, 1970. This is me down in the bottom corner. I had lamb chops at the time. But uh, we had a, a couple of black guys. We were the white team playing against the black globetrotters. But our team had a couple of black guys, too. There was one guy in particular, Sam Sawyer, who was a legendary guy. He did 20 years out, out on the road and 6'6", uh, six, six black guy, smooth as silk. And Sam and I became really close friends. We were very tight. And in fact, we roomed together the summer of 70 in Europe. We paired up as roommates. And they tell me it was the first time that ever that a black and white guy roomed together with the Globetrotters. But, uh, Sam and I did, and, and we were, they called us salt and pepper, because wherever you saw one, you'd see the other. We were just hanging out together, chasing girls, and uh, double dating, and just having a ball. Dennis, can I pause you for a second? Yeah. Because um, I'm looking at the, the clock here, and I know, fabulous story, a fabulous story. You really uh, involved us for over an hour right now. But I know the panel, these, these people on the, on the screen have lots of questions for you, and I want them to ask you some questions. Is that all right? Awesome. Go all for right. it. All right. And, okay, well, Fred, why don't you go first? Yeah. Dennis, I actually remember you at, at Fordham. I'm a huge basketball fan. You mentioned college ball, but high school ball in New York City was great. I remember, you know, you said Jimmy McMillan. I'm, he played against my high school, Thomas Jefferson. I was at Erasmus. George Thompson was there later, had a great career in Marquette. And I remember that game with Dayton. I was there. And I'm, I'm going to report you. I'm going to read something that Dennis made, Sports Illustrated, February 20th, 1967. They used to have a roundup of college basketball every week. 
So this is a week. There was no favorite, no week for favorites in the East. Fordham hardly figured to give Boston College more than a workout. Boston College, I look good enough to make anybody's top 10 while beating St. Joseph's 83-69. But Fordham's hustlers made 35 or 38 foul shots. Dennis Witkowski scored 21 points, and Boston College went down 85-F-81. Maybe it's good psychologically, philosophized Boston College's coach Bob Cousy. We were getting a little cocky. You, you must remember that game. Oh, that was that was our greatest victory, you know, upsetting a top 10 team. Yeah, they, they were rated number two in the East at the time. Yeah, playing against a team coached by Cousy and a right. couple of basketball legends that I crossed swords with. And, uh, you know, Cousy was, you know, who was better than Bob Cousy? And I got to beat his team a couple of times. So that was very sweet. Yeah, Dennis, do you remember the holiday festival game between Louisville and Columbia when Columbia, by the way, you said Newmark went to NYU. He actually went to Columbia, but oh yeah, when, when, they, when, right. when they beat, when they beat the Louisville in the holiday festival, I still right. remember the, the five of Columbia, Roger Olazek, Elliot Wolf, Haywood Dotson, Jim McMillan and Newmark in the center. What a great team. Yeah. You know, they, they, you, you were just a year away from the, from the great Fordham team with Digger Phelps, right? That was after your time, right? Right. Digger came in after me, a guy named Charlie Yelberton. Right. The star. And Charlie, Charlie and I played one year together. He was a sophomore and I was a senior. But then Digger Phelps had that team. After they kicked out Conlon after one year, yeah. Digger took over and Fordham had a tremendous run. Yeah. It was but a great people, time, people, great time you know, for basketball in the city. Tell them you played New York City basketball. Mm-hmm. People don't realize, you know, how huge it was back in yeah. the 60s. Oh, it was tremendous. Even I remember my high school days, Jimmy McMillan, Marvin Roberts, uh, before the Billy Cunningham, Connie Hawkins, Roger Brown, you can go on and go on. Nate Archibald, who beat us at the city championship my junior year of high school, they would Clinton, and go on and on. It was a great time. Yeah. City. yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll pass it on to somebody else. Oh, well, sorry. Uh, Gerald, do you have a question? Yeah. Hi, Dennis. Hi. Dennis, um, I remember some of these players uh, vaguely having played for the, uh, the Globetrotters, and they probably uh, preceded your, uh, the start of your tenure with the Globetrotters. But here are the names that I, I recall. Connie Hawkins, Ernie Banks, Lou Brock, of course, Will Chamberlain, Ferguson Jenkins, Bob Gibson, and uh, Sweetwater Clifton and Bob Gibson, I recall, said he quit the Globetrotters because they fooled around too much. And as you know, Gibson was a great, great competitor in baseball. Did, did you cross paths with any of those uh, former Globetrotters? Oh, absolutely. You know, after leaving the Globetrotters, I went to the Pittsburgh Condors in the ABA. So they were the Pittsburgh Pipers for years. And who was their star? Connie Hawkins. Wow. The Hawk had been banned (laughs) because of his, you know, betting in college. He got uh, got caught up in the scandal. So the year I went to uh, uh, Pittsburgh, Connie had just left and went to Phoenix in the NBA. He got admitted to the NBA after seven years being blackballed. And he went to the NBA and he was older by that point. 
and had a lot of miles on him, but he still performed at an, an all-star level and, you know, was such a great dominant player. So, uh, yes, I knew Connie and uh, I got to know Bob Gibson when he was playing with uh, the Cardinals. And uh, I, I have a restaurant here in Jupiter and it's right next to Roger Dean Stadium, which is the spring training home to the Cardinals. So uh, I got to know Tony LaRusso and, you know, all, all the Cardinals. And Gibson, of course, was, uh, was one of them. But uh, yeah, great, great players. And my, my friendship with Wilt became so special to me. And uh, I'm gonna show you guys a picture. I've got a Wilt over here. So here was Chamberlain with two of my sons and he's got his arm around him. Uh, in a little bit, it's a little further, a little far away. We can't see. They see Will. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got some other great great pictures. You guys would would enjoy seeing. Here's one with uh, I talked about Johnny Bach, and that's two Dennis player and friend Johnny Bach. So Johnny's at Chicago with this guy. This one is best wishes, Michael Jordan. And he's signing a program for my son and hand him the pen. So Johnny is, is at uh, Chicago and he comes down to Miami to play the Heat. And uh, I said, Johnny, can you help me out? So he gives me tickets and then takes us in the locker room after the game. And my kids are in there and Jordan is in the shower. Jordan was a, a young pro at the time. And he comes out and then the kids pat him dry. They sit on his lap and Johnny looks over. He goes, hey, you see this kid over here? He goes, he's going to be something special. Scotty Pippen was a rookie at the time. And uh, so I got to hang out in the locker room with Jordan. And uh, just a number of years, whenever Chicago would come down to, my, to Miami, I got to go to the game. So uh, you know, great, Thank great stories. Thank you. Ron? Unmute yourself first. Hi, yeah, I did. Hi, Dennis. First of all, great presentation. Uh, you really brought me back when you mentioned I'm a big Laker fan from like the late, late, late 60s, early 70s. You know, I'm still a Laker fan. But when you mentioned Jim McMillan and I, I guess uh, Happy Hairston was before you. You didn't get to play against him, I imagine. Right. Who? Because, I, you know, that that's starting five for the Lakers. Uh uh, that's my favorite team of all time, without a doubt. And also, I, I'm also a very big Connie Hawkins fan because I don't know if you could see the shirt I'm wearing. <laughs> I love it. It's Connie Hawkins in the Piper jersey. Yeah. So, to wow. me, he he to me he was Jordan before Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Connie. That, that, that's that's how I I I talk to my son about. That's how I compare him to. Yeah. You know, he was in the same class. Him and Elgin Baylor were like, you know, before Jordan, you know, those guys, they just were so dynamic and the things that they could do with the basket. When I got to meet Connie Hawkins, I shook hands with him and I've got a big hand. I'm a big guy. <laughs> he wrapped his hand around mine twice. <laughs> him and Chamberlain both. They had mitts on them. Those guys could palm the basketball. 
like it was uh, an orange. <laughs> they, they put such a grip on it. And Hawkins would just take that ball and swing it around in circles around his head, drive into the basket, you know, similar to what Dr. J did years later. Uh, yeah. I missed playing against Dr. J by one year. He was at uh, UMass, who Fordham played against, but uh, I think he came the year after I played against uh, University of Massachusetts. Dennis, what do you think about Yeah, get it wrong. Finish up. I'm sorry, just one other thing about, about Connie Hawkins. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's probably the best sports book mm-hmm. I've ever read of all time, yeah. Foul. Yeah. yeah. Did I don't know if you've ever read it about Connie yeah. Hawkins. I have not. Mm. Uh, it is still... Even though it was from so long ago, one of the best sports books of all time. Yeah. Well, Connie and I shared the same coach because the year I got to Pittsburgh, they changed it, as I say, from the Pipers to the Condors. But we had the same coach, Jack McMahon. And Jack was the coach of the Cincinnati and had Oscar Robertson uh, as his uh, star for a half a dozen years before McMahon got to Pittsburgh. And he, he was my last coach in the ABA. Uh, after that, I went and I played in the Eastern League for uh, a little bit. Played in Scranton and uh, a couple other places. But uh, the, the money was, you know, outrageous. I signed my rookie contract with Pittsburgh in 71. $12,500 was the rookie minimum, and that's what I got. And then never got paid on half of that. They ended up going broke, and we got stiffed, and the team moved to New Haven, Connecticut. And, you know, the, the ABA was kind of falling apart at the time. But uh, it's crazy when you look at the money today, right, and, and what these guys are making. People ask me, you know, did the Globetrotters get paid well? Well, no, they, they got paid we were getting 25 bucks a day, 175. And uh, you would get it on a draw system. And then at the end of the month, you'd sit down with Red and you go, hey, Red, you know what, what do I got coming? And he'd pull out his little black book and he'd have all, and he goes, well, you owe me $75. And I go, all right, run it over. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll run it back next month. And the Globetrotters were getting, uh, you know, just a pittance. Uh, they say Abe Saperstein, you know, he died with the first quarter in his pocket that he ever made. Uh, he was uh, a notoriously tight guy and didn't need to play the pay the players. I mean, we were just happy to be playing the game. Right. Uh, my question, and I will go to the other guys, too, is what's your feeling on the modern day basketball as as opposed to when you guys played back in 50 years ago? Well, it, it's an exciting game today. It's, it's dynamic. The guys are high flyers. You know, they're playing the, above the rim. Uh, you know, the three-point shot is, uh, I, I guess it's entertaining. I don't know. It's, it's a little hard to watch the NBA now. Uh, it's really dissolved. You know, the difference between the regular season and the playoffs, you know, it's, a, it's like two different games. The regular season games now, uh, guys aren't really trying as hard. You know, it was it was a much more physical game, of course, back when I was playing, and uh, uh, you know, really comp- competing like hell. You know, you were uh, you were leaving it all out on the court. Today's guys uh, don't seem to be doing that. Okay. 
Who else asked a nice question or any question? <laughs> All right, Barry, how you doing, Barry? Unmute yourself. I'm doing great, Dennis, uh, um, Mark. Um, I'm, I apologize for coming on a little bit late, but we had a last minute issue with uh, Beth's cell phone we have to take care of. But Dennis, I want to personally thank you for coming on. I've listened to the entirety and it's very, very entertaining. And um, I don't know if uh, Dennis mentioned how we actually met, but um, we both live in the same community, East Point Country Club down here in Palm Beach Gardens. And I'm um, having dinner with Beth and a couple other people. And I look around because I like to look around, see who's in the dining room. And I saw this big guy stood out amongst everybody. And I go over to the table. I introduce myself. And, I, and then I think we stood up. We were standing at the buffet, if I remember correctly, Dennis. And I go to him and I say, excuse me, sir, but did you ever play professional basketball? You're quite tall. And then he just went on to tell me he played with the Washington Generals and Fordham and everything. And then a light bulb went off in my head and I said, you know, Dennis would be a great person to have on Mark's show. So I asked him and Dennis was very accommodating and he said, sure, I'd love to do it. So I just want to personally thank you, Dennis, for coming on. I think you're a great guy. And um, I stopped by Saturday night at your stadium grill uh, during the concert, but you'd already left. The girl told me you already left. I stopped by to say hello and to tell you how great you were going to be. But apparently I didn't have to do that. <laughs> but I do have a question for you. You mentioned my favorite basketball player of all time, Dr. J, uh, mainly because he's originally from New York, from Roosevelt, Long Island. Um, did you have any experience playing against him? Did you hear any particular interesting or funny stories about Dr. J that you can share with us? Well, thank you very much for the kind words, Barry. And I thank you for getting me on the show with Mark. And the fact, you know, that I knew this night was coming up. We, we laid this out a couple months back. Mm -hmm. and now, as I would, started thinking, boy, I'm going to be talking about the globe charters and talking about my basketball day. And it made me stop and remember. And there's such wonderful memories. And uh, I pulled out, you know, my bag of souvenirs and, and just looking back and thinking back on it is, is very heartwarming. So thanks for that opportunity. I'll tell you a quick story with Dr. J. My wife, who played for Queens College. That's where I went to college. Queens College women played in the national championship game in about 1974 or 1975 and their team they ended up i think they lost to immaculata in what was then the naia women's national championship so years later the new york city basketball hall of fame inducts my wife's entire team into the hall of fame and uh, they also that night inducted Lou Corniseca, uh from St. John's and Dr. J from the Nets. And uh, we all got to go to, uh, uh, you know, the, the ball downtown. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on where it was, but uh, we, we got to go to the event and uh, I got to go up and I've got a great picture of Dr. J and I shaking hands and, you know, kidding each other. And uh, 
So it turns out my wife is in the New York City Basketball Hall of Fame, and I lost 500 straight games. I'm in the Hall of Shame. <laughs> but we, we met on a basketball court and, uh, you know, and married him. And we produced four sons, and two of them became really good players. So it's a, it's a good family basketball uh, story. Didn't the women play six on six back in those days? No, it was five no. on five. But they, that they, was out in Nebraska. That was out in the Midwest. They did play yeah. six on six. Down the Midwest, Iowa, back. Nebraska. You go back. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, oh, Stephen. Stephen has a question. Dennis, you said two of your sons were good players. Where did they play? Uh, they played down here locally in Palm Beach County. Both made first team all county as high school players and never did anything with college. But uh, they, they were terrific players and you know, they still play men's leagues and they just kill everybody they play with. My, my uh, 40-year-old son is still dunking on people like crazy. So, uh, but uh, they, didn't, they didn't get to uh, have the college experience I did. Anybody else have a question? Anyone who has not spoken yet wants to speak. Otherwise, I have to go back to the guy. All right, Fred. Dennis, did you ever play against one of my favorite players in that era, Eldridge Webb, who later was at University of Tulsa in high school with boys high school? I, I, don't, I don't remember him. Uh, but, he, uh, he, had some, he had an epic game against Rutgers and Lloyd in, in, in the garden. He was really a great guard. Went from boys high school to University of Tulsa. Never played in the pros. Yeah. But he was really I'll good. You, I'll tell you a guy I played with who came out of that area who you would remember. A guy named David Latin. And yep. David Latin, Texas Western. Western. Now, Texas Northwestern played against uh, Kentucky, Kentucky in right. the national championship game. It mm -hmm. was the first time Adam Rupp would not play against black players. Right. But Texas Northwestern was all black. Right. They played the championship game, and Texas Northwestern upset uh, Kentucky and won the won the national championship yeah. so david latin becomes a globetrotter yeah. mm -hmm. the guy is the most ferocious player he was built like uh, you know a linebacker he was just when he dunked everybody ran you just <laughs> he was like daryl dawkins who played for philadelphia when david latin dunked the basketball his legs would go kicking out. His arms were flying. Mm -hmm. If you were within eight feet of the guy, you're going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. And he was dunking. And oh my God, what a tremendous, tremendous player. I remember one night uh, I came down and I, I got on a little hot streak and I make a basket and I make another bit. Mm -hmm. Now, Meadowlark hated to be showed up by anybody. And now I'm like on fire a little bit. You know, I get a few baskets in a row and Meadowlark is getting steam. So he grabs David Latin, get on him and shut him down. I don't want to score another basket. That's why I hear Meadowlark telling Latin. And I came down and I got to the, to the foul line, back to the basket, did a little shoulder fake and I did a spin and went up and did a jump shot. And it was one of the sweetest shots in my career because I still remember sinking mm -hmm. the pit and then looking at Meadowlark and seeing how 
absolutely pissed off he was. <laughs> it was a thrill. Yeah. I remember that, that Texas Western team, like Willie Worsley from the Bronx. Yeah, so, yeah, little guy. I, I actually remember watching a game a couple of years ago. David Lanton's grandson, I think, was playing for the University of Oklahoma. Yep. They made a movie on that uh, te Texas yeah. Western. Yes. Uh, let me get one question. Um, uh, Dennis, was it understood that you guys were going to lose, or did you always lose? Even though I know you won a couple of games. But oh. was it understood you're there just to, like, Play with them. Now, don't say I won a couple of games. I kept my record perfect. I, I never. Won. I was say. But, uh, no, it, the people didn't want to come and see the Globetrotters lose. So the game was, you know, in the bag. At the win, there'd be there'd be nights where the scorekeeper, who was part of our show, would have to manipulate the clock or manipulate the scoreboard to make sure that the outcome, you know, was achieved. So sometimes we go on a little run and, you know, we're like almost trying to miss, but the ball's going in. We're taking, you know, bad shots, bad shot, bad shot. Don't take that shot. But then back it goes in, you know, and, go, and then the coach goes, Oh, good shot. You know, those kind of shots. So we're ahead by six points and there's under a minute left of the game. Well, they would turn the clock off. They would just wait until <laughs> put up. And as soon as they had a point, they turned the clock back on. Or they would come down and be down four or five points, and they score a basket, put back up, and all of a sudden they're down one. You go, what was that? A four point shot, you know? So they would skip a basket and do whatever they had to do to make sure that uh, the people went home happy with the Globe Charters winning. Okay, uh, a couple more questions. Uh, um... Um, Gerald. Dennis, didn't the Generals defeat the Globetrotters one day when you had the night off? That's true. Yep. The night I, the night they were playing down in Baltimore, I was in Jersey and I wanted an extra night to spend with my uh, girlfriend at the time. And I took the night off and somehow the Globetrotters ended up losing that game. And it was the first loss they'd had in about seven years. And uh, it got a lot of press. And it turned out to probably be a good thing because you know it was all over the, the news, and people were like, "Oh, the Globe Trotters!" You know, so it, it created excitement and everything. So it was a good thing. But I wasn't there. If I was there, we would have lost. <laughs> <laughs> Surprised they didn't say, "Stay away, <laughs> your, your teammates." <laughs> when he's nobody, back, <laughs> nobody wanted to see him lose. <laughs> I know. Uh, and the and the kids were crying. <laughs> Anyone else have a question? Stephen, is that you got a hand up? I guess not. All right. So if nobody else has a question, I just want to thank you. Um, do you have any closing words for us, Dennis, before we say goodbye? Yeah, I want to thank you, and I want to thank all the other guys because, uh, as I said giving me a chance to relive some of these memories has, has been a treasure. I thank Barry. I thank you, Mark. And I thank the guys for the question. You got some great listeners. there, some, some great buddies. And it's one of it's your best shows, Mark. One of your yeah, best yeah, shows. Well, Absolutely. I didn't thank do the show. Dennis. Dennis did the show. I just was shaking my head, remembering Fantastic all these show. stories, great stories. Dennis, Dennis I want to thank you so much. Dennis, it's been a great hour. We'll come back. Thank you, Dennis. Thanks, guys.
Okay. Thank you, Dennis. Very much. You ever thank, get you, thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Dennis. Down to Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, you're going to come to Stadium Grill. And, and Stadium Grill, right by Roger Dean Stadium. Absolutely. Can I, ask, can I ask one more question? All right, really quick there, Fred. Come on. <laughs> Dennis, you think Fordham basketball can, can come back to some prominence in New York? No. <laughs> I gave up on the Rams years ago. They're, they're horrible. New York I thought maybe they have the right coach now, the guy who was assistant at Villanova. Even St. John's can't play anymore. Come on. Those yeah, guys St. John's my team. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dennis. Thank you again so Thanks, much. It's been a great thank hour you, and a half. Boys, I thank you all for joining us. Thank you. We'll take care, Mark. Take care, week. Dennis. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Dennis. Bye-bye, guys. Good show. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Bye now. Bye now.